Well, good morning and welcome to Bloomer Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us this morning. That video you just watched is about Luke 6, 46 to 49, and actually Matthew 7. Please open your Bibles to Luke 6, 46 to 49, as we continue looking to the stories of Jesus. Short stories, very short stories, parables, illustrations, and teachings of Jesus Christ, the great conversationalist. Again, that is Luke 6, 46 to 49 today. One of Jesus' best-known sermons is the Sermon on the Mount, or also known here in Luke as the Sermon on the Plain, which is also where we find the very memorable Beatitudes. But at the end of this section, the sermon, we also see a favorite parable of many, a parable of two builders. Now, Jesus opened this sermon series on the, on the, the plain or the mount with a description of the blessings that belongs to those who have entered into the kingdom of God and a warning to those who have not yet entered the kingdom of God by professing their faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Then Jesus described how his disciples are to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And just to tell a few short examples, he said they must love their enemies. They said they must not judge others. And in fact, then he goes on to talk about how they must examine their own fruit, their own lives as well. Now, finally, like any good preacher, Jesus ends this sermon series, this sermon time, with some good application. Jesus challenged his disciples to examine whether their discipleship was genuine or fake, whether the discipleship was all for show or for real. What were they really doing with their lives? What were, were, what were they really doing there in the presence of Christ? Let's read now. From Luke 6, 46 to 49, please follow along. I've got it on the board, on the screen, but I really recommend bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, see me, let me know. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome. Take one home from the pews here. We actually have some new Bibles coming in the ESV translation as well. So, let's read. And this is also found in Matthew 7, but we're reading from Luke 6, 46 to 49. Where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because he had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, does not do these things, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, or as Matthew says, on sand. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Here Jesus uses an illustration about a good and wise builder, and a bad and foolish builder. Again, we have a good builder and a bad builder, one wise and one foolish. We have two builders. <clears throat> we have two lives. And this demonstrates the difference between a genuine or a real discipleship lifestyle versus a fake or just for show discipleship lifestyle. We also will see the consequences of one lifestyle versus the other. Today we see that a profession of faith void of obedience is worthless. Furthermore, we see that a life built on anything but Jesus Christ 
in obedience to his teaching, his ways, and the word of God will ultimately fail. Let me say that again. Actually, why don't you say it with me? A profession of faith without obedience is worthless. Again, a profession of faith without obedience is worthless. A life built on anything but Jesus Christ and obedience to his teachings, his ways and the word of God will ultimately fail, especially when troubles come. And boy, do troubles come. You saw that little sermon intro video that I showed, and that gave you some examples of how troubles come. And depending on which foundation your life, your house is built upon, will determine whether you remain standing or whether you're left destroyed, flooded, washed away, and your life in shambles. In our reading today, we see one, a builder, which knows well how to build a house to stand the test of time and stand up against the storms. But then we see one, a builder, which knows not or cares not to build a house to stand against such storms, one which will not stand the test of time and will ultimately fail. In this story, we see three things. In this story, we see three things. We see a question. We see a powerful story or illustration told by Jesus. He paints a picture for the crowds to hear. And then we see a life-penetrating application, a powerful application. Jesus asks, he gives, and then he delivers. He asks a question, he gives a powerful story, and then he delivers life-penetrating application. Jesus also asks, gives, and delivers much to us today as well. But do we listen? Do we obey? Do we trust and do we follow him? Truly, do we follow him as Lord? The first thing we talk about today is Jesus asks a personal question. Jesus gives the crowd something to consider. He says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, he may have been saying it a little bit differently. I wasn't there, of course. He might have just been asking more honestly, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, I find it interesting that he says that title twice. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He wanted them to think about the title that they were calling Jesus and think about why and think about how it was, how it was penetrating into their life, into their soul, into their daily living. What were they doing with this title? What were they doing with this knowledge? What were they doing with this profession? Even though Jesus is still early on in his ministry, he had a crowd following him. He had many following him. Luke said in Luke 6, 17, as Jesus preached this sermon, that he preached it to 12 apostles, a great crowd of disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of, of Tyre and Sidon. Although Luke does not give us an exact number, we may safely estimate that there were hundreds, if not thousands, of people following him, following Jesus, listening to Jesus, watching his healings and his miracles. They wanted to see what was next. And as they would address Jesus, as they would talk to him, as they would follow him, as they would plead with him, they would say, Lord, Lord, 
Lord. Jesus, Lord, hear my plea. Jesus, Lord, you are great. Jesus, Lord, I'm following you. Lord. Now, Lord, this title is sometimes used as a title of respect while addressing a superior or addressing another person, especially in maybe some older books you read or some movies or books or movies. Maybe they're not older, but they speak of a different time frame. Maybe they're speaking of a Lord of England or of a king or of a boss or a master, and they would refer to them as Lord. But Lord is also used for one who is in supreme authority. God is Lord. And here these people following Jesus are using this title for Lord. In this title of Lord, Jesus is affirming his supreme authority, supreme knowledge, supreme power, even his deity. But possibly without understanding the obedience which should go along with the title. Even though they are affirming his authority, they are not submitting to his lordship. And it will show when storms come. So Jesus is questioning them on it now and calling them out and helping them to consider. He's asking them a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I tell you? You see, these people wanted Jesus as their Savior, especially in relation to the healings of the day, the miracles that he was bringing to people's lives. But they may not have acted as if they wanted Jesus as Lord over their daily life choices, their lifestyles. They didn't want to give anything up. They just wanted to add Jesus where it was nice. This is why Jesus asked so bluntly. He asked a question. He asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Next, we see Jesus telling a personal story, an illustration to help them understand the consequences of not following after his ways, submitting to him in obedience as Lord. Jesus gives a personal story or illustration comparing two builders, one good and wise and one bad and foolish. Jesus himself was a builder, a carpenter, as well as his father, so he knew what he was talking about. Side note here. We all have a testimony, and just as Jesus used his story, his life experiences and the experiences around him to tell of the glory of God, to tell of righteous living, to tell of the truth, we should use our story and the things around us, our testimony, to do the same. Sometimes we don't tell of the gospel, we don't tell of Jesus, we don't tell anybody of the truth, because we just think we're not educated enough. We think we don't know what to say. But all around us are things to say. All of creation tells of the glory of God, tells of his word, tells of his love. Your life tells of God's love. Use it. So first, Jesus describes a good and wise builder. In verse 48, he says, A man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Here we see a man who wanted to build a house. We see the first builder, a good builder, a wise builder. He would think through it. He would plan appropriately. He would draw up some blueprints. He wanted to build a good home, a strong home, one which would stand the test of time against storms, against floods, and against family or floods caused by children. Ever had that happen? We have. He would call the inspectors in. He would check under the ground. He would see where the soft spots were, where the hard spots were, where the wiring was, where the pipes were. He didn't want to hit a gas pipe in the house foundation explode before he had even had it set 
He exerted a lot of effort and energy and thought building this house. He would not cut corners or use cheap or less quality of materials. He was not satisfied with a shallow or soft foundation like sand. No, this man, he dug deep. That's what God's word tells us. He dug deep. In fact, he dug so deep that he laid the foundation on the rock. Have you ever seen footage after a hurricane or tornado which shows a city, a coastline, a village, a farm town, just completely decimated by the weather? Maybe it's a tornado that just sweeps away all the houses, pulls them off their foundations, brushes them aside, gets down to the very basement or leaves nothing but ground behind. Maybe it's a hurricane like this picture which shows all these other houses are washed away except for the one. See that one? That one saved either by the grace of God, his mercy, keeping the waters away, or because this house had a good builder. The builder obviously spent good time, good energy planning and making appropriate actions to build a house which would stand against all things. He had a good, strong solid rock foundation. Here in this story, we see when the storms come, a test come like a hurricane, a severe storm with floods. Jesus' story says in 648, when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. You see, storms come. They do come. They always come. Storms come. But if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would say that these homeowners were happy homeowners who did not have to rebuild. And I would say that this is the type home that I want to build. That's the type home that I think you want to build as well. But next, Jesus describes a different type of home. Jesus describes a bad builder, a foolish builder. Jesus describes this in verse 49 as a man who built a house on the ground, I quote, without a foundation, or as Matthew says, on sand. No solid rock to stand upon, but sand. No firm foundation. Like all these other houses that washed away, this house would wash away. Here we have a man who wanted a house, but he did not want to take the necessary time building a house which would last. No inspectors, no plans. He just wanted it now. And so many of us do those things in our life. We say, we just want it now. We don't want to have to wait till God's timing. We don't want to have to wait to do it the right way. So we have sex before marriage. We move in with somebody before we're married. We... We do things that we shouldn't be doing. We don't live according to God's word, his love, his ways, his promises, according to the righteous ways of truth. And then we find our life in shambles. We find our life washed away. And sometimes you can't tell the two homes apart. Sometimes you can't tell the two lives apart, the two disciples apart. You see those two houses up in the top? They both look the same on the outside. Outward appearances, we have two houses built. We have walls, we have doors, we have landscaping, we have a roof, we have windows. Sometimes it's impossible to tell the two apart. Or sometimes one, the bad one, may actually look better on the outside. Maybe they spent a lot more time sprucing up the outside instead of spending the time where they needed on the foundation. But sooner or later, it will show as the weather comes. 
the weather comes. When the weather is good, all look good. But when the weather gets bad, it gets bad. So then we have Jesus delivering a life-penetrating application. Jesus delivers a life-penetrating, powerful ending, illustration, application for the life. You see, the test eventually comes. Jesus said, when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. <clears throat> Luke 6, 49. You see, tests, struggles, storms, they always come. They will come. Will you be prepared? You see, as that video, that sermon intro video showed us, stuff comes into our life which we're not expecting. Stuff comes into our life that we would never desire on ourselves or anybody for that matter. Will you be left standing? Or will you be broken in shambles, washed away, or left laying in pieces, having to pick all the pieces up again? There are many broken homes around Bloomer today, many broken homes probably maybe within this church, within this world. We know for sure there are many broken homes without fathers, without mothers, without children, without people following God's ways, his righteous ways, his truth, his word, his promises. And because we're not doing these things, our life are, are in shambles. And I'm not saying that because you follow God's ways, his word, his promises, that we're, our life will be perfect. No, we still have these problems, these struggles. But the difference is when you're standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ, you won't have to keep starting over again because your life is saved in him. You'll know that your faith, your trust is placed in something that can't be washed away. You'll know that you have somebody, a God, living within you, the Holy Spirit, to guide you and help you through these times. You're not alone. I want you to write this down. <clears throat> you see, the house that had no foundation was not built to withstand the stormy weather and floods and was washed away. It was destroyed. It had fallen. But here we see that a good house, one found still standing after all the storms, will have a solid foundation we see that our houses, our lives must stand strongly upon the word of God, his promises, his ways, if we are to stay standing through the storms of life. Let's look at that again. A good house, one found still standing after all storms, will have a solid foundation. And that relates to our lives, our houses. They must stand strongly upon the word of God, his promises, and his ways, if we are to stay standing through the storms of life and not break. You see, although each of these builders' homes we've shown may look the same, when the inevitable storms come, only one house remains standing. Why? The question is, why does only one house stand? And the answer is this. The house that stands is built on a strong, firm foundation of rock, not sand not something easily washed away, broken down, and destroyed. And by a good and wise builder who thought about his life and realized what he needed to build upon. The application here, I think, is obvious for our lives. There are two kinds of disciples, two kinds of followers after Christ, two kinds of people who profess Christ as Lord. Each disciple is a builder in this life, a builder of a home. Outwardly, each life may look the same, but when the inevitable storms come, only one life stands. 
And why does this one life stand? The life stands because it is built upon obedience, truth, and love, obedience to the word of God, to the teachings of Jesus, to his ways, to his truth, and to his love. Remembering his promises. Jesus says, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I have told you to do? There's two types of disciples. Are you going to profess him as Lord, but not do what he does, tells you to do? Or are you going to profess him as Lord and truly obey him following his ways? I can think of many people in this life who follow after Jesus' ways, remembers the truth, remembers his promises, remembers the word of God. And although their life may be hit hard by storms, even recently, many big storms, you can see that they are still standing. And for the glory of God, giving great testimony to God's care over them. Maybe you can think of some by yourself. You see, as a disciple of Christ, a follower of the truth, one must submit to the ways of truth and righteous living. And this truth, this way of righteous living, is only found in God's Word, in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit within them. It's only found in kingdom living, not worldly living. Now, before we go further, I want to state that we're not talking about how one receives salvation and a restored relationship with God the Father. This is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We're not preaching a works-based salvation of righteousness or righteousness. Jesus is not talking here about justification, but sanctification. You see, we are justified through faith alone. We're saved through faith alone in Jesus. But then after you're saved, God is continually sanctifying you every day, every moment. He wants you to become more like his son, Jesus, more like him. He wants you to be living in the truth and obedience to his word and remembering his promises and living as if you truly remember and trust them in faith. We're talking about sanctification and how when once saved, we're continually being made more into the image of Christ. That means we're maturing in our faith. And there should be evidence in our lifestyle, in our choices, in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts. Remember his personal question in verse 46. Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? These people were claiming to be his disciples. They had made a profession. They were claiming to be justified. They were claiming Jesus as Lord. But Jesus is challenging their claim. He's asking them to really consider their actions. He's challenging their profession of faith. And he is saying that it is possible to distinguish a true follower of his versus a false follower by their obedience, by their life, by their choices. He is saying, as one pastor once said, a justified disciple is always a sanctified disciple. A justified disciple is always a sanctified disciple. So I ask you, I ask myself, I ask all of us to consider these words of Jesus, words which said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Are we living as he teaches us to live? Are we listening and obeying his ways? Or are we giving in to the world's ways and what they tell us is right? Are we thinking it's okay that we should just Move in with whoever we want to move in with. Have sex with whoever we want to have sex with. Drink however much we want to drink and think there's no consequences to these sinful lifestyles. Talk about people behind their back. Gossip. Not forgive people or hate people and not give them a, choice, a chance. Not do God's will ministering to the one another. Not do God's wills going to all of creation 
and telling them, making disciples, telling them of the good news of Jesus Christ. Treating your wives badly, your husbands, your spouses, your children badly, not bringing them up in the knowledge of the Lord. Watching things we shouldn't be watching, listening to things we shouldn't be listening to. Dedicating time to things when we haven't even dedicated time to God. We could go on. I ask you to consider yourself. Lord, Lord, are we doing what you tell us to do? The first application or take home is this. A true disciple obeys Jesus. Jesus says in verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. And then he gives us this magnificent story of a wise builder with a home which stands against the storms and floods. The Apostle John in 1 John 2, 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. John 3, 30, he states that of Jesus, that he must increase and I must decrease. Meaning that Jesus must be glorified more than himself. And in order for this to happen, you must have Jesus increasing in you. You must be coming more like him. You must be sanctified, being sanctified every day of your life. In order to be sanctified, to be more like him, you must truly be justified and have a true profession of faith, one that has evidence of your faith, one which is truly living according to his ways and the truth found, the righteous ways found in his word. A true disciple stands the test of time when the storms of life comes because he stands strongly upon God's promises and ways. He stands through sickness. He stands through sin. He stands through suffering. He stands through disappointments and accidents, mistreatments, illnesses. He stands through financial struggles and marriage struggles, struggles with their children. He stands and it doesn't mean that these things don't come. They do come, but he stands. He stands not because of who he was, but because of who he is and who he is becoming more like. He stands because he follows and obeys God's words and ultimately will trust in him alone and his promises. He stands because he is really grounded on Christ the solid rock and his words. He stands because he's not stuck on sand, which gets washed away as the water comes, but he is on solid rock, that no matter how much the water sweep against that rock, the rock stays standing, firmly planted deep, deep in the ground. And then two, the second take-home, the second application is this. A false disciple... A bad, foolish disciple does not follow Jesus as Lord. False disciples, bad and foolish disciples do not follow Jesus as Lord and follow his teachings in ways. They don't obey. And this one, the foolish one, cannot count on the promises of God to save him because they've never asked God to save them. They've never really truly followed after Christ. This foolish one will fall and be washed away with the storm. Jesus says in verse 49a, but the one who hears and does not do them. They hear Jesus and does not do his word, does not listen, does not yield, does not submit, does not obey. This is like the foolish builder, the bad builder with the home washed away. Notice again, they hear Jesus 
but they don't yield to his words. They don't truly apply them to their life. They don't submit to them. False disciples may make a profession of faith. They may say that they belong to Jesus. They may claim to be a Christian, but they do not obey his word. And I'm not talking about just a guy who accepts Christ and they, they obey at first and they struggle with some life choices, make some bad choices, and they come back to Christ. No, this is somebody who was always putting on a show from the very beginning. It was always all just for show for a girlfriend, a wife, a family member, a friend, or because he just wanted to look good. But none are good, no, not one. But God sees us as good when he sees Jesus' blood covering our sins. A false disciple does not obey Jesus. The apostle John says in 1 John 2, 4, Whoever says, I know him, that is Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The truth hurts, doesn't it? A false disciple may look like a true disciple, just like the two houses may look the same. But when the trials come, the storms come of life, the floods come, he falls away. Worst of all, when he stands before God on the day of judgment, Jesus will say to him, I never knew you. Depart from me. He will be seen as lukewarm water and spit out. As I work to conclude, I want you to look to the life of Job. God's great servant Job in the Old Testament would stand through unimaginable tests. He lost an immense fortune. He lost approximately 7,000 sheep, 3,000 cattle, camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, many servants to the attacks and catastrophes. He even lost all of his sons, seven sons and three daughters. He lost so much. And he struggled. Yes, he struggled. But how did he make it through through the end? By God's grace, by God's mercy, and because he continued to praise and glorify God in the end. Scripture records in Job that Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job did not turn from the excuse me, from the Lord. Job did not turn from the Lord. Instead, he continued to look to the promises of God, God's word, God's ways, God's attributes, God's love, God's power, God's presence, God's knowledge. He would continue to trust in God. You see, he worshiped him, trusting God even in the midst of the pain, trusting God even in the midst of the storms. Because you see, struggles will come. Storms will hit hard. But we must keep trusting in the Lord, his promise, and follow and obey his ways. A true disciple obeys Jesus even in the storms of life. We may not always know the why. We may not always know what is happening and why. We may not always know when it's going to end, but we do know that struggles hit and we must keep trusting in the Lord and his promise and follow and obey his, his ways. When those storms come, plant your feet upon the firm foundation, the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and know that you will stay standing. God has a place reserved for you up in heaven. God has a place reserved next to his side or I'm sorry, in his presence. Keep trusting in him, his promises. Follow and obey his ways, for they are the righteous ways and ways of truth. 
A true disciple obeys Jesus even in the storms of life. Let's close in prayer now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for teaching us your ways. Thank you for giving us your life upon that cross, Lord. Thank you for giving us salvation free and clear through you alone. Thank you for the understanding of your word and the Holy Spirit who helps us, empowers us, protects us, and equips us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for sending us your Son, for desiring a relationship with us. Right now, before we leave, Lord, I ask all these people before us, I ask myself as well, to evaluate our lives, repent of sin, turn away from wrongdoings, turn away from disobedience. Admit that we're all sinners and need to follow Jesus, need to follow your Son, need to follow you. We must make sure that we have a real, true, and wise profession of faith. We must make sure that we're wise, good builders, building our life as disciples upon your word, putting our faith and trust fully in you. And Lord Jesus, I just ask as we close to help us live a life totally, day by day, in obedience to you and your word, your actions, your teachings. Until the day you come again, and every day after in your presence, may we praise your holy name, may we glorify you, and may we remember your promises. Lord, I will trust in your promises. I will trust in your might. I will trust in Christ, the solid rock and stand. I will trust in you and stand through storms, floods, and the test of time. And I hope you all said those things with me. And in God's holy and powerful name, we say, amen. Let it be done. Amen. Let's close in song now.